Hello, I'm Michael Hocking and welcome to this episode of the HRD Live podcast. Why are businesses so slow to react to change? With productivity falling and the workforce transforming irreversibly, it's crucial for our organisations to find a way to become more agile and HR might hold the solution. On this episode of the HRD Live podcast, I'm joined by Kim Atherton, co-founder and CEO of Just Three Things. Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's all right. It's great to have you here. Now, first things first, why is it that productivity is is falling in organizations? What are the reasons behind that? And what can HR do to redress that balance in some way? I think that uh, productivity is falling essentially in organisations globally and Mm. one of the key reasons is because organisations are essentially really slow to change. As we know, um, kind of change is the only constant now um, and uh, small startups, the barriers to entry um, are falling so startups are growing very, very quickly um, and essentially paying real attention to the customer and um, being very nimble and agile um, in terms of of changing um, uh, themselves to meet those those customers customer needs. And that's really leaving big organisations behind because uh, large organisations are essentially too slow um, Mm. uh, to adapt to the changing circumstances. And so therefore, their productivity is is really falling. Of course. And I always think of it's with enormous like financial institutions or those places where they've got this huge global staff and so much compliance involved with everything, trying to implement a solution from HR it's crazy because you know I mean like the return on investment you need you kind of want everything to be solved all at once and you think how can organisations like that deal with that kind of change no, absolutely. And one of the big problems with those types of organisations is essentially silos. So the way that HR and the rest of the organisation um, uh, essentially design um, uh, the org, it means that uh, we have these huge siloed uh, decision-making um, uh, parts. And uh, you need to really pass decisions between those silos. Um, uh, and that means that the organisation is really, really slow um, uh, to make decisions and to react. Um, and also the decision-making is, is really centralised. It's not really uh, as distributed. It's typically in a senior team. Right. Um, and then, again, the person doing the work is really far away from uh, from the decision-making. So I think the the way that we design orgs um, uh, has a really big impact on how how nimble or adaptable or how slow um, uh, they are to adapt mm-hmm. and then I think the other big factor in the way that we, we design organisations is that we we typically put um, people who have a similar skill set together so i.e. Um, we are all HR professionals so therefore we all sit together in HR mm-hmm. um, and we uh, have our goals set by perhaps the HR director and actually, that means that we're really, really, really far away, typically from, um, in our case, uh, our client groups, but in um, in, in other departments uh, from from the actual end customer. And um, so, by uh, I guess it, the way we design these these organisations, it keeps us far away from the customer, and it keeps us in silos where the decision making is really, really slow. So the answer then is is to restructure that somehow, I suppose, and and get HR not only more HR in that decision making process, but I suppose from those other silos more of those people involved in the HR side of things as well. And so is that a total restructuring that needs to happen? How on earth do we achieve that? So I think this uh, this goes way beyond HR, almost to the organisational design of, of, of entire organisations. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And interestingly, I think that the solution, pe- people are aware of the solution. So, um, for example, the uh, 2017 Deloitte Human Capital Survey. Um, so over 85% of senior executives, both in HR and, and uh, more broadly, um, understand that uh, to become more agile, we need to move away from having our companies organised in these, these functional silos toward a cross-functional network of teams. Mm-hmm. So to give you an example, um, you might you, you mentioned earlier on uh, compliance and um, uh, financial institutions. So uh, I was talking to a a company recently and they were talking about the fact that they previously had had um, different departments who uh, dealt with different parts of product development. So in their case, it was mortgage products. Um, And so they might have uh, perhaps marketing or or perhaps customer research that goes out and says, right, we can see that customers want this type of product. And then they might hand it over to proposition development and they might uh, design the proposition then they might hand it over to tech who might say right okay this is how we might implement it in our website in our journey uh, and so forth and at the very end of that journey um, uh, the compliance team would get involved and say hang on a second the FSA aren't going to allow this um, uh, this product to be to mm-hmm. be sold and so instead of that type of, of functional um, hierarchy and, and, and silo and um, what this organization did was take essentially a couple of people from each of those departments Mm -hmm. and put them into a cross-functional team and really empower them and get them close to the customer need in order to design those uh, the the new solutions and and, and actually bring them to market much more quickly and and really get them in the hands of the customer very quickly and see what they think um, and then iterate and test and learn. So I think that the the solution, I think organisations are aware of it, so um, uh, as we say, 85% Mm -hmm. plus um, uh, know that we, we need to to, uh, reorganize into these um, smaller, more nimble, um, agile teams, and then network them together. It's interesting as well. I think that I, I hear a lot about HR being a, a more effective strategic partner, and it seems like this is all piled into that. It's kind of everyone's aware of what that solution is and how we HR can help to do that. But it, it seems, I mean, are organizations capable of doing this? Do you think that all organizations can? Because it, it seems like there's a lot of pushback against it, right? Yeah, I think, well, the the same uh, Deloitte Human Capital um, uh, survey, only about 11% uh, of organisations felt confident in how to implement these types of solutions. So I think you're absolutely right that there is um, a definite uh, trepidation around the right way of doing this. But I think a lot of companies now are experimenting with this way of working. Um, some people might call it agile. Some people might just call it innovation or mm-hmm. um, uh, customer journey teams and whatever whatever the name um, or label you want to give this. Most organisations are experimenting with this way of working um, and finding that it's making um, uh, them a little bit more innovative, um, more customer focused, and so forth. Um, and again, random stats for you, but McKinsey love random stats. So. McKinsey found that the organisations that are working in this way um, uh, became up to 80% more innovative um, uh, and also engage their employees um, uh, a lot more. Um, so you, you talk about HR's role. Actually, I'm really excited about the role that HR can play um, in this new way of working because you know, we've got a burning platform. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the business, as we typically say, although we are the business, um, uh, the business will need really need this. They need to become more, um, more nimble and agile. Um, and HR have, have got one of the big levers or can help to facilitate one of the big levers in terms of organisational design um, to really help the, the business achieve its aims. So there's these words like nimble, agile. I think kind of what you're saying when you talk about nimbleness and agility isn't quite the same as, say, 
an agile working methodology or something like that. It's a different kind of mindset. How does that manifest itself in a build, in, in a business? Like, where do you need to start to, to, to build that up? Is it from hiring? Is it changing leadership? Are these a lot of questions I'm throwing out right now? But let's start with let's start with um let's start with talent. Then let's start with hiring. Is is there something that needs to change there? You think in terms of choosing the people that can make different kinds of decisions that have a different approach to working and a different mindset where does that start yeah i mean i think um uh, you're absolutely right in terms of of this uh, this mindset needing to go through um uh, through the whole employee uh, employee journey and life cycle so I think hiring for, um, uh, I guess, learning agilities is a place that's something I've always been really passionate mm. about. So um, Ovo Energy uh, was a green energy company. I joined when there was uh, about 100 people and uh, saw the business through to about 2000. Um, uh, so really rapid growth over five years. Um, and during that time, I knew we were going to have to become, you know, we, we would need to remain um, and nimble, agile, all these, um, all these buzzwords, um, because we had to be innovative in order to really challenge the big six energy providers. And so from the very beginning, we hired on learning agility rather than on uh, competency or experience. Um, and so what I mean by that is um, uh, the, I guess, in more innate or underlying qualities that might be able to predict someone's ability to um, adapt to new circumstances. Mm. Um, so to give you uh, some examples, um, so if somebody has is, is self-aware, so they, um, they really think about how they come across to people and they adapt that that's uh, something that is really tough to teach that but actually um you can you can test for it you can interview for it mm-hmm. um, and actually that's much more predictive of whether someone's going to be able to adapt and, and learn new new skills than if you ask someone a competency question about what you know whether they have experience in um, customer service for example and mm-hmm. I, I I was speaking to someone just the other day actually um, for an interview and they were talking to me about how a lot of businesses now take um they take uh, educational status and things like that out of cvs so what university you went to and your name even so vices but i think by removing all of that kind of stuff and then adding in this this these kind of this mental process instead these kind of awarenesses and things that's it's an entirely new way of taking in talent that seems to that could potentially completely revolutionize the way people work together right if you're not even remotely considering where somebody's from or their education but how do you adapt to certain scenarios yeah but anyway we i think that we talk about that for quite a long time um so elsewhere then i think um what about the role of leadership in all of this because i think that a lot of this stuff has to be top down in in order to really affect change in some way so when we talk about nimbleness and that kind of thing what what's the leadership mindset needed for that how can a, a leader whether it be a particular silo or, or of an organization affect that kind of mindset and change especially in like enormous organizations right where there's a lot of change yeah, no absolutely so i think once you've got the i guess the right people um uh, who are um open-minded and adaptable and 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 uh and have the uh, learning agilities to be able to um uh, take on new challenges I think the next thing um, we need to think about is essentially the organisational conditions that we want to provide for them in order for them to do their best work. And I think leadership is is a really, really key part of that. So um, if I think about uh, how we explained this when we were were at Ovo and we were going through this type of transformation, um, we we started, obviously, we'd always recruited people with learning agilities. And then we we looked at the organisational design. So um, I remember talking to everyone and, and talking about 
becoming or going from being a kind of tanker um, uh, to being a, a kind of a flotilla of ships. So, um, <laughs> uh, so each ship would be um, in a, empowered um, uh, and enabled to navigate its own waves. Although, of course, we need to all pull in the same direction. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of empowered network of teams type of structure. Um, but in order for that network of teams to really work, um, we need to provide the right organisational conditions. Mm-hmm. And leadership is so key to that because essentially you want each of these little chips um, first of all we want them focused on a customer problem so rather than in a just in a vacuum um, uh, focusing them on a specific problem um, they need to solve for on behalf of the customer mm-hmm. and then empowering them to really innovate um, and test and learn um, in order to to really um, I guess get, get better and, and make improvements and become more uh, nimble agile etc um, <laughs> that, that all comes down to leadership so having that psychological safety encouragement encouraging um, uh, test and learn culture, all of that type of stuff has to come from the top. If there's a condition of fear, um, uh, then, then that's just not going to happen. Um, mm. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the HR processes that we put in place um, uh, almost are countercultural um, to this idea of psychological safety and um, leadership as a uh, supportive um, uh, force. That's interesting. Countercultural. I think that's particularly apt I, I was it was mental health awareness week the other week as I'm sure you're aware and um, from interviewing people around that I, I noticed a great deal of people saying how that in organizations now it seems that there's it, there's no space for vulnerability in any way and it, because it seems in some ways kind of counterintuitive to business success that you would have space uh, not only for things like you say like kind of thinking and, and trying things and failing but like but also just for emotional vulnerability and, and having the space to feel that that's all right and I think that's a leadership issue as well right because it has to be you know top down again but yeah, so what what about well-being in these organizations then I, I'm not sure like how you think this fits into it but I think it can play a greater role I think in business strategy I'm not, I'm not sure like what, what, do you, what do you think about that do you think it's kind of it's something which is too low on the agenda right now or or not it's not massively my um, oh, yeah. uh, my my areas of expertise. I think um, uh, so. I think uh, I'm I when I think about wellbeing, I probably think it, about it a little bit more holistically, um, rather right, than right, um, right. Uh, specific kind of wellbeing initiatives. Although I think they can definitely mm-hmm. have a place to a part to play. Um, I think if we can create the right, um, uh, I guess element of, of psychological safety mm-hmm. in the organization as a whole and we can empower um, uh, people and teams um, to really uh, to do their best work to um, to feel that they're part of something that they're not just a small uh, cog in a huge right, wheel right, right. I think those factors almost are um, just as important in in the well-being conversation as perhaps some of the well-being mm-hmm. um, uh, initiatives that typically get brought up no I, I think that makes sense uh, so I think moving on slightly I, we talk a lot about technology on this podcast and it's, it's something we tend to come back to because I think it's a it's a huge kind of changing force in business right now. But um, of course, you're involved in just three things. What's um, what's so when, when you're building that organization or when you're approaching organizations rather through that, um, what, what's your what's your like change process you have in mind? What is it you're trying to affect in these organizations? Sure. So, so just for things um, uh, is a goal setting and alignment tool for use in this kind of cross-functional network of teams. So this kind of new world, um, and I developed it from w- when I was with Ovo. So I was chief people officer of Ovo Energy, mm-hmm. um, and we were going through, um, as I mentioned, this this change from this uh, huge tanker, or say huge two thousand people <laughs> tanker, actually quite a small tanker, um, uh, a small to, tanker, small tanker um, uh, to this network of, of teams type of kind of flotilla of ships. 
Um, and yet, uh, we we were we worked a lot on creating things like psychological safety. But what we didn't think about was how um, all of the ships could understand what was happening on the others, for example. Um, and okay. so there was no transparency um, uh, between what was happening in each of the cross-functional teams. And so they kept reinventing the wheel, and there was duplication uh, right. and so forth. Um, and then the other big problem um, was that the uh, the alignment piece. We wanted to empower our teams, but of course we needed to align them behind the strategy. So. Um, I, I built just three things where that essentially gives each of those teams a home uh, and they can talk about their mission and who their members are because obviously HR systems don't reflect the cross-functional nature typically of, of these teams. Right. Um, they can then set goals and then they align those goals to the organisational strategy. So they're self-declaring and this is what we're doing and, and this is why. Um, and then they update their progress, um, talk about their learning um, and anyone can comment on anyone else's um, uh, progress, status update and so forth forth so you get a really rich um source of organizational learning and okay. uh, and feedback loops that go um essentially around the organization but aren't really driven from leadership it should be kind of more peer-to-peer mm-hmm. and by the way i'm talking here about feedback on on work so on the um uh, on goals rather than on the personal feedback in terms of behavior of course yeah. i was going to ask actually when you have that kind of peer-to-peer thing i was wondering how that operates because surely it could become quite complicated but how does that kind of learning process um, benefit more than a kind of top-down learning process why is why is that um, more beneficial do you think so I think what, what we were trying to do was to um, almost kind of create the, the non-curated conditions, basically, for, for learning. So mm-hmm. um, uh, if we take it as a starting point that most people in organisations are motivated, self-starting, want to do a really good job, right. um, and yet typically the organisation is the thing that hampers them from doing that. So you know, they're not involved in decision-making, it's all centralised, they're in a silo, they don't have any visibility, etc., etc. So by providing utter transparency on every everything that was happening in the company and the ability to find out basically a search um, uh, functionality about everything that was happening that they might be interested in um, uh, and learning from what's happening in other teams Mm. essentially you you almost um, uh, give people the tools and then say well it's uh, it's up to you guys you're all curious go go and find out what's happening Um, and what we found was things that we didn't predict at all so um, uh, teams in completely different locations um, uh, joining up on particular goals um, uh, and yeah so um, that type of um, almost kind of design thinking, but at a, um, a distributed level. So you guys right. go off and do that. Um, so yeah, and then yeah. we spun out of Ovo. Um, uh, well, probably about six months ago now. Um, <laughs> so still quite new. Um, and now we're working with a whole range of different um, clients. So uh, from Veolia, the NHS, uh, Royal Bank of Scotland, Citigroup. Mm-hmm. So a whole um, load of different um, use cases. But but essentially the the kind of most common problem is we want to reorganise into this network of teams um, because we know that without doing that our decision making is too slow um, we started to experiment with this way of working mm-hmm. um, and yet typically our stakeholders um, are, are kind of looking at this a little bit like a black box I, I have right. no idea what's happening in this um, and so therefore the network of teams um, uh, instead of being able to innovate and, uh, and be empowered um, are having to do endless reporting um, uh, and also they don't know what's happening with the other teams so mm-hmm. essentially what we do is just bring transparency to all of that. What's that implementation process been like when you're joining? Because like you talk about like the NHS, these huge organizations. How, how have you found that uh, 
process of implementing the technology with them, have you experienced much kind of pushback in terms of, oh my God, we don't know what's going on here? Or, or what, what's the process been like for you to find across the board? Sure. So we typically start off with um, uh, departments or, or um, uh, uh, groups that are already really working in this way. So it's typically the innovation hub or um, actually the NHS use case was HR. It was a HR um, right, uh, right. department who wanted to work in this kind of cross-functional. So when I say cross-functional, I mean uh, cross team in HR um, uh, so instead of saying I don't know we're the recruitment team we're the talent team and so mm-hmm. forth they wanted to um, uh, organise themselves in, in terms of project streams um, but right. they wanted to do so in a way that was very focused on the employee outcome and, and then they could kind of test and learn and see what, what worked so for example, one of the um, uh, one of the cross-functional teams was around increasing diversity um, in the candidate pool mix, um, and that was every. We had people from all across HR involved in that um, kind of cross-functional uh, team. Um, so typically, uh, we start there. We start with people that are already working in this way, um, and so therefore uh, the teams are already typically formed. The cross-functional teams are formed, nice. um, and what we do is um, uh, allow them a way of uh, keeping everybody up to date. So it's typically quite a, a, I don't want to say easy first step implementation, but but easier than if we were doing the actual change. I see. And then the real um, uh, challenge comes when we start to move outside of the department that's already um, working in that way. I can imagine. Um, To flip it slightly, what do you think is, if you you could choose, the, the key learning that that you've taken away from this about organizations and the way they're organized currently from having implemented it you must have kind of had this top-down view of the of these departments and learn how they work do you think you could pick a, a kind of key learning that you've taken away from it so far or a few yeah no absolutely <laughs> i think um uh, so without uh, mentioning any any names or any clients no names or blah, 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 whatsoever. Um, uh, i think i was i think i probably took took for granted um that over was a little bit more for thinking in terms of goal setting right and um, so i i've been really um uh, uh surprised at how um how a lot of organizations what they would think of as a goal is typically it's a process um okay. so uh for example um uh, rather than an outcome so let's take a hr example um, okay. uh, and we, like we, are, we are in hr <laughs> um, so uh we might have you implement this this new benefits platform um and that and and to think of that as a goal, whereas actually um, the the real learning for me is that 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 isn't the, that isn't the outcome. That is, um, we are saying we we have a hypothesis that if we implement this new benefits pro- platform, right. it will lead to X, Y, and Z, you know, better retention, higher engagement, whatever it might be. But quite often, um, organisations don't make those links between what they're doing and then the, and then the kind of the why, key. Why do you drive. think that is? Why, why do they not make that jump? I think it's just easier to think about the projects or the um uh, or the deliverables and and, and don't right. get me wrong it's not just hr i mean people oh, no. people in software do it you, for example yeah i'm going i the, the aim is to release this feature on this app well, why are you doing why that why are you releasing <laughs> that feature what what metric are you trying to, to drive right. and what will the implications be and if that doesn't work then what will you do next so um at over we used to think about it as bets so i if i'm trying to drive let's say employee engagement um uh, i'm trying to drive engagement and in particular i'm trying to drive engagement around perception of fairness in benefits because that's the question that's perhaps come down and i might say right i'm going to make a number of bets or hypotheses and bet number one is this new benefits platform um, uh, and what if we're, we're going to make that bet we're going to test and, and see if, it, if it's made a difference and if it hasn't made a difference we're, we're then going to say well what's next 
rather right. than say, well, that the platform is is the goal. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, no, I understand. Right. So it's interesting. I mean, as a, as a key takeaway, I suppose, like it must affect the way that you think about organizations generally and even how you could help them going forward right you think we can we can change and we can adapt to to help them to transform in the future right but on on technology more broadly as somebody who knows a great deal about it yourself uh, not to put too much pressure on you (laughs) which I have a great deal is it (laughs) it's totally true but what do you think um the the kind of the unexposed uh, potential is in in technology and organizations now from an HR perspective because Just Three Things is bringing something very crucial to the table but where else do you think there are areas that could really benefit from some from kind of some of the emerging technologies that are really um, helping um, organizations at the moment Sure I think there's a couple of kind of really interesting trends in HR tech at the moment yeah. so I think first of all HR tech is getting a lot of investment right now which is right. super exciting and I'm now going to try and chuck out a stat and not even remember where I got <laughs> it from but um, uh, I, I, I'll come back with the source um, uh, <laughs> but I think it was in 2016 I think the whole year it was 1 billion um, mm-hmm. uh, invested in HR tech globally and then I have a feeling in, in 2018 um, uh, for about four months of the year um, it was 3 billion I think it was so yeah billion. brilliant thank you <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just going to so, let you get there first thanks um, so, uh, so HR tech is really having a moment and the reason I think it's having a moment is is, is a couple of things. So I think, first of all, um, there's a big trend for point solutions in HR. So right. i.e. to have a different platform for your recruitment and then a different platform for your onboarding and a different, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's actually um, uh, reflective of what we see in consumer tech in that people are so used to having apps for different things that it doesn't feel like it's a huge barrier now. Right. Instead of, um, I think, uh, five years ago, people would have said, well, you know, surely I want one HR system to do everything whereas now actually the the consumer appetite has changed for having multiple solutions Mm -hmm. Um, and also secondly I think that HR systems HRIS systems are um, uh, becoming increasingly unfit for purpose I hate to say it Um, and so therefore uh, I think these point solutions um, that are really really uh, focused on doing one thing really well um, uh, are having a a little bit of a a time in the the limelight and of course there's going to be consolidation and and the HRIS uh, organisations will um, obviously buy a a lot of these companies uh, will consolidate and so forth but I think that's an interesting trend um, and then I think the other kind of really interesting um, uh, thing is around how data is being used in HR. So right. um, there's some amazing, for example, um, recruitment tools out there um, uh, that are looking at removing bias from the um, recruitment process and um, automating some of the um, uh, some of the initial screening. And they're just so they're so clever. And of course, there's they all have downfalls in that you know you have to you have to feed it data in order for it to get better. But what are you getting it better on? Because ultimately. It can, that, it can create bias itself, mm-hmm. but I think it's a really interesting time for use of in of data in um, HR applications because ultimately we we should be one of the areas that 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 we should this we should be kind of really um, uh, exploiting some of the data because right. we deal with so many um, uh, so many repetitive but high frequency tasks and and so therefore uh, you. 
AI can now uh, predict, look at brain scans or look at um, uh, look at different um, uh, elements in med, right. medical stuff. So surely HR, um, because it has that high frequency, repetitive task like, like recruitment, is a really good candidate for that type of thing. So I think that's really yeah. interesting as well. I think it's in what you said about the, the consumer element coming into the workplace as well. Why do you think that is? I hear a lot of talk about it being more to do with the fact that there's a kind of multi-generational workforce as we hear now. Do you think that's entirely why that, that more more tech is being involved and why there's more of a, a need for a consumer-style experience or, or, or is there something else at play? I think that um, just we are all just getting used to better experiences so right. um uh this morning i uh put my, i left my phone on my desk um and i went to get a coffee and i realized that i had to get my wallet out of my bag and pay on my card i had the exact I didn't have, yeah. same thing <laughs> this morning yeah. I had the exact same my wallet was in my bag and i had to sort of reach back and get it and i had my phone in my hand i was like oh no wait yeah, exactly. Can, but then I, you're like, I was so frustrated. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so <laughs> annoying. This is taking ages. And you were so spoiled. I mean, exactly. I only got Apple Pay six months ago, and yet I think I'm so cool now, you know. <laughs> so we're getting more and more spoiled, I think, as consumers Definitely, I think um, so. with what tech can do. And, and that is translating into the workplace. And I don't think it's necessarily a generational thing. I mean, you know, I'm. I'm older than a uh, millennial <clears throat> and, uh, and and yet yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very um, uh, sport with tech so yeah. I don't even think it's a necessarily generational thing I think it's just our, our expectations are uh-huh. so much higher and then we log on to our HR system and it has this clunky interface and, and yeah, the process is just really painful and we just we almost don't want to put up with it anymore. Right. It seems like that's the, the future of organisations, isn't it? It's it's clunky HR systems, clunky ways of organising ourselves, clunky ways of, of communicating with one another that have to become more fluid. Right. That there has to be a kind of constant flux state going as far as we can change and we need to adapt. And we need to do that in the way that we communicate and organise ourselves as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the really exciting opportunity for HR is that um, uh, this is a burning platform for organisations. It's not that this is a nice to have. It's that mm-hmm. unless organisations do this, they are going to go the way of Blockbuster and, and they are not going to be able to survive. And so therefore, um, uh, they have to look at their organisational design. They have have to look at their talent and that means that HR is is going to have a moment we are we mm-hmm. are we are arrived exactly. we are arrived we have arrived <laughs> <laughs> I think on that inspiring note is an excellent point to, to end our conversation Kim Atherton thank you so much for joining us on the HRD Live podcast and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon thank you so much for having me that's it for this episode of the HRD Live podcast uh, thanks so much again to Kim Atherton for joining us it was great having her on uh, remember to check out just three things as well Kim's new project Uh, Remember to rate and subscribe and uh, please stay tuned for more episodes very soon. Bye bye.